the cost of operations is uh, the bigger the property is up to a certain extent, the less it costs you per unit. Mm-hmm. For example, if I'm going to buy a 25 units, I'm going to have to pay the manager uh, $30,000 or $40,000 or something. On the other hand, if I buy 200 units, I only have to pay them uh, maybe three, four times that. So the cost, per, it's not the cost of the manager, it's the cost per unit. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Five Talents Podcast. I'm your host, Abel Pacheco. I interview the top commercial real estate investors and industry experts so you can learn from their experiences. So if you're an investor, a high W-2 earner or real estate or tech sales professional that wants to invest in real estate without having to manage properties or leave your day job, then this podcast is for you. Or if you're already investing in real estate, but you're doing it part-time and you want to become a full-time multifamily or full-time commercial real estate investor, this podcast is for you too. You're going to learn a ton. You will learn from real-life multifamily investors and other professionals in the industry. They're going to share their blueprints for success. And I'm super excited that you're here. So I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, hello. This is Abel Pacheco, your host for the Five Talents Podcast. We are super excited today to have yet another amazing guest on our show, Mr. Sam Freshman. Mr. Sam Freshman has just been one of those individuals that I met this year that has a ton of expertise and a wealth of knowledge in our space that I know you can't help but get a lot of uh, expertise from. So I'm going to introduce him a little bit more uh, as we go through this. But at the highest level, uh, he's done in, in one shape, form or fashion or another in, in real estate, practicing law since 57 with an emphasis on real estate. He served as counsel in the formation of well over 100 real estate syndications. He's a general partner of a lot of syndicates in controlling property with well in excess of $400 million. And that's just scratching the surface. So let me turn it over uh, to Sam for a second. Sam, can we start with just a quick introduction? Tell us who you are and uh, you know what you do, and, and we'll start a great conversation. Okay, well, uh, I come originally from Michigan. I decided uh, when I was uh, graduating high school that I wanted to go to California. He said the girls were a little better looking there. I uh, went to Stanford. In those days, anybody could get into Stanford that did not live in California. Uh, if they lived in California, it was a little bit of a problem. But uh, graduated uh, undergraduate, and uh, in 1954, and uh, had finished also at the same time my first year of law school at Stanford Law School. You could do that in those days. I went to law school because I started out pre-med and I hated it. And my father said, well, go to law school and I'll teach you business later. (laughs) And uh, so I did. And then when I graduated, I said, yeah, you didn't tell me what kind of law I should do. My father had just moved to California about two weeks uh, before my graduation. And... uh, 
I said, should I be a tax lawyer? Should I be a litigator? What kind of law should I do? He said, and that's probably the founding statement of my success. He said, practice law. That's where all the money's made in California. (laughs) Wow. So I uh, opened a law office and uh, started doing law and and playing around with the law on the side. And uh, after about 10 years of uh, buying properties, and and those days downtown LA was dead, absolutely dead. There were high-rise bank buildings that were uh, 13 floors, 12 of which were vacant. And so I started buying those for like a million dollars and selling them after a few years for two million. And thinking I was a real hotshot. <laughs> However, after about 10 years of that, I looked back and every one of those damn buildings was worth a lot more than I sold them for. Yeah, so then yeah. I just said, I'm going to be buy and hold from this point on. And that's what happened for the next uh, 60 years uh, was we just bought, generally fixed up. Occasionally we trade on up, but we mainly... Uh, Found we could make more money by holding onto a property and improving it than we could doing ground up construction. So I never very much into ground up construction, but a lot into uh, value adding. I've done just about every different kind of property there is bank buildings, apartment buildings, industrial, uh, you name it. And we've done it. But over time, I've settled into uh, uh, multifamily. Yeah. And uh, the problem with multifamily right now is that the uh, cap rates in California anyway, in most good neighborhoods, is around three and a half, four percent 4%. So uh, we've spread out and uh, do a lot of our business in Nevada and uh Arizona, uh, the uh, oceanfront states, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. 11 states in, in, uh, on the West Coast that uh, we buy it. But over the, over the uh, 60 years, I had property all over the United States. And for about 30 years, <coughs> I was partners as well uh, with Northwestern Mutual Life. And you mentioned uh, 100 units. Mm-hmm. Our portfolio criteria was 600 units per property that we didn't buy, and of course, most of it was their money. Yeah, yeah. But it was a great, it was a great deal, and I'd say when it comes back, you should, if you're starting out, you should try for that. I'd yeah. put up 10 percent of the capital, they'd put up 90 percent, they get awesome. an eight uh, percent pref, and then we fit we're 50 50 beyond that. Wow, there you go. Let and, uh, uh, Sam, let me, a- uh, if I can, pause you here because this is so for those that are listening, you know, when, when you sit down with the, the godfather of syndication, someone who's been doing syndication for years and years and years, what, what we're essentially doing is we're pulling together a group of people. Me and Sam were talking about it just before we started hitting the record. He was like, What do you do? And I said, Well, I, I try to pull experts, people that I believe are amazing operators, amazing construction management people, project management people, people that are great analysts, people that are, you know, just 
just really quality individuals and build the best possible team around a deal. And, and he's, you know, this is exactly what we're talking about is it's very simple. It, you know, there's a lot of complexity that happens, but in all, you know, simplest forms, we're coming together, the brightest people we can find and pulling our capital, pulling our resources together to buy something bigger than what we would have been able to buy on our own. And so Sam, that's, you know, this is kind of what you've been doing for all these years and sorry to interrupt you, but that that's what what I'm hearing. And you're laying this out the way you used to do those deals or the opportunities that were there, correct? That's correct. And uh, the main, the main thing that is constant in the real estate market is change. Uh, There were periods of time when the thing to, to buy was shopping centers. During that period, I did very well. I'm very tempted to go back to it because shopping centers today uh, are selling at, at eight caps mm-hmm. versus four caps mm-hmm. less for apartments. Now, uh, 10 years ago, I sold most of my shopping centers and put the money into apartments. That worked out very well. That was a good when call I, 10 years ago. If I was younger, uh, I'm 88 years old now. But if I, I was younger, I'd probably switch backwards now and trade the because I can I could take an apartment building at uh, and get uh, rid of it at four percent and put that money into eight, nine, ten percent uh, cap rate properties if I would do shopping centers. One of the things people ask me about is the future of shopping centers. Mm-hmm. I think that it's got a good future. But it depends, of course, like it does in any property. You have a bunch of things on your checklist. The most important thing with a shopping center is how many cars a day go by that property. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we look for 45,000 or more. It's the first thing to look for. In comparison uh, with a apartment building, it doesn't matter at all how many cars go by. It matters how good is the school system. Mm, you want yeah. a school system with a rating as much as possible on the higher end. The ratings go from 1 to 10. Site for the information is great schools. The information is free. You call up great schools, you give them the address, and they'll tell you the rating. 10 great is schools. the highest. Mm-hmm. Great schools. Ten is the highest rating. Mm-hmm. So, and that's a website for those that that don't know that you can go to the Great Schools website, you know, Google it, and you can get this information. Everyone, it's free to everybody. Okay, go ahead. That's right. Yeah. Generally, we're looking for there at least a four or five. If we just get an eight, we're we go nuts. Yeah, you're excited. Yeah, and the, you know, the school system. You know, it drives uh, people that want to live there. It's a great area, and that's where their children, you know, are going to school. And so, you know, it it, it also if they have a good school system. It's usually everything else falls into place, right? Crime and median income, all that that's good right. stuff. It's a quick way to to start your. So uh, we looked at at the schools. Then the other thing we look at is the uh, income level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, because Obviously, we're making our money by improving the property. We want to be sure that the that the community can afford to pay the higher price. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So you want uh, something where the income levels are somewhat higher than uh, currently uh, s- supporting the properties. Mm-hmm. And each each type of uh, property has a different set of rules. Mm-hmm. We, like we have a list of 13 rules for the uh, apartments. We like uh, pitched roofs because they're cheaper to maintain. Mm-hmm. And uh, so on down the line. Yeah, uh, We got an entirely different set of rules for office buildings and another set of rules. I love it. When, you, when you've been doing something as, as long as you have with as much success as you had, you've been able to document a few things. And let me, uh, let me uh, get to a spoiler alert on this one. There's no way Sam's going to give us all of these nuggets in a 45-minute show. But you can pick up some of Sam's books. He's, he's a, a published author, The Principles of Real Estate Syndication. He's on the third plus syndic- you know, uh, edition. He's written the real no, estate the finance. Sixth, I'm on the sixth edition. Sixth edition. Great. I read, the original one was 1971. I love it. I love it. Principles of Real Estate Syndication. So sixth edition. He's written Real Estate Finance and Syndication Glossary, The Smartest Way to Save Money, and over 20, pub, uh, I don't know how many, this is probably outdated too, but many, many multiple countless published articles over the years. And then Sam's also an expert witness in real estate matters and banking. So he's he's the guy that the, the courts call out every once in a while too. So esteemed in background, no way we're going to hit it all, but man, thank you, Sam, just for continuing no, to share. That's okay. okay. So you were saying every asset class has its different rules, shopping center, multifamily, land development, whatever those rules may be for each and every asset class. Yeah. So when you're starting out, you, you pick your asset class and then you go and dig up all the rules. Yeah. And uh, most people in uh, real estate are very friendly. And you just go to the guy that's got the best reputation in town and ask him to give you an hour. And, <laughs> yeah. And then I would say in 90% of the time, he'll be happy to do so. But you want there's a lot of work because you make your money not when you sell, but you make your money when you buy. Mm-hmm. That's going to determine how you're going to come out on the back end. Yeah. Let, let me say two things here because what you said is so, it's so simple that some people will really miss this. <laughs> uh, what I heard Sam say was you got a network. You have to go to the individual or the person that has already had some success and go ask them for a little bit of their time, right? Now, you may not get it all the time. And he said 90%. Maybe those individuals, the most successful, are usually the ones that want to share a little bit of the nuggets. So number one, network. Number two, the other part was when you're saying as you're putting this stuff together, you've got to figure out a way to essentially learn that asset class at a time. You can't be an expert in every simple, you know, in everything. You've got to learn one component at a time, which is, you know, I think that's, that's great. So anyway, sorry, Sam, like loving, loving everything so far. No, that's, that's, uh, that's it. And I've, I've been fortunate and I've been, been able to do it on the side a few things. I've uh, formed and owned a bank, a title company. I've uh, Lectured at all the major universities in uh, Southern California, and uh, just had a good time. 
Yeah. Yeah. The the main thing, uh, which was a little tough because I fall in love with a different type of property and then that's good for a number of years. And then it switches to something else. Mm -hmm, And, uh, uh, shopping centers uh, at one time were the best places to go. And probably today it would be a good time to go back to them because you, there are not too many people that are really going after them. And the cap rates are that I'm seeing. Um, well, my wife doesn't like them, so that sort of makes it hard. Uh, <laughs> but I've seen cap rates today, uh, 8 to 11%. Wow. Whereas uh, in a, in a uh, apartment, you're getting maybe somewhere between a three and a five. Yeah. Well, let me, let me ask you this. Not so much technical, but I heard you say, well, your wife doesn't like them. How, how involved has your wife been throughout the years in y'all's quote unquote partnership? How long have y'all been married? Tell me a little bit about that background just for, for all of us younger ones that are, I've only been married for 12 years. So any wisdom I can take. In my real estate business here that I will apply, I will apply. Well, I we got married in 1957. Mm-hmm. And we were engaged from the time we met until we were engaged eight days. And so we've had a fairly, eight fairly days. long run. I love it. And uh, what she did was I wanted, I just graduated from college and I wanted to give her some uh uh, buttons and stuff for my uh, right for my uh, club and all that, and she said, "No, it's a ring or nothing." <laughs> nice. She was she's a much better negotiator than I. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And so yeah. y'all been married throughout yeah. the whole time, and and uh, that's a lot of years. And so, what type of involvement in the business has she played? And we have we have four children and seven grandchildren. Oh, that congratulations. Praise God. That's amazing. Well, we wanted more, but we sort of, that's, a, that's as far as we can go. Beautiful family, my brother. Beautiful family. And, and in your, uh, what advice can you give to the married, the married uh, couples that are doing the business together, that are trying to work out and, and create it together? Well, I think uh, I'm not so sure because there's different ways of people doing this. I think uh, each person has to find their own way. It's uh, a lot more specialized than buying a property. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. Uh, want uh, someone that you know is going to be there with you all the way through. This is sort of the basic things. That, in a way, uh, what's your attitude to her having children? We both wanted to have, when we ended up with four, we originally thought we'd, we'd try and get six. So we were together on, on the major mm-hmm. role. In fact, uh, most of the business part of it just developed as we went along. But the important things, uh, to us anyway, were family. An ugly family and wanting family. And uh, that was our goal. Other people may have other, other targets. Yeah. Yeah, state. If you're aligned on the big ones, the the smaller ones will fall in line. And if you're about that family, you know you, your family unit uh, is what I heard as. And if all of the big ones fall in line, the smaller ones over time will kind of develop. And uh, that's been great. Well, congratulations on your success in marriage. 
and your beautiful family, in addition to the real estate success you've had. Are your are your children in the real estate business now as well? Well, the, my my grandson is being uh, groomed to follow me, and uh, uh, my children, some have uh, worked there part time in the summer. Uh, all of them are familiar with it and been there. Uh, and during during the summer, at some time in their lives, <clears throat> they all know the the um, the company pretty well, the business pretty well. And uh, I think there's a tendency on their side to uh, consider that as well uh, when it comes to investments and so on. Uh, Got it. Yeah, no, that's well, that's amazing. And okay, so. I'm going to I'm going to pivot a little bit, right? Because you have this tremendous amount of knowledge and wisdom that we're not, we're just going to scratch the surface, right? So, why don't we give some wisdom that maybe applies to all of us, right? Real estate investors, we're all looking for uh at least our group. Let's call it commercial real estate investors. I have a lot of multifamily folks. We have a lot of syndicators, people that are raising capital. We have a lot of people that do operations. So we're all working together and doing what we do. What What are some of the advice or knowledge you can give somebody that's, you know, just starting out in the business? What What can they do to apply to have a lot of success? Well, the first thing I'd suggest to somebody that's starting out is for them to find a place to learn and go to work for somebody uh, in, a, in an area that they that they'd be interested in, whether it's uh, industrial property, whether it's uh, apartments or shopping centers or uh, any one of the eight or nine different types of property. Right now, I think some of the opportunities are a little off the main track. Uh, today, I would be looking pretty hard at things uh, that are a little different, uh, special, special, kind of, special kinds of things. Mobile home parks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mobile home parks have jumped way up recently. And where can you buy a living quarters for a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars and pay three hundred dollars a month for the space? There's a great, I think, a great opportunity there in the uh, in mobile home parks, uh, rec vehicle parks, some of these more off off the main uh, line. Yeah, a little bit off the beaten path for most for most people saying, "Oh, I want to buy this beautiful apartment complex," and you're saying mobile home parks and that kind of thing. But it uh, people are going to need an affordable spot to live, and right. if you can figure out a way to make this in a scalable model and improve the situation, increase rents, and you know they're going to win, right? That's right. There's a tremendous difference in uh, in the cost of, of the property. I've you have Beverly Hills, where I decent property is probably ten million dollars, and uh, then again, you can go up to uh, Riverside uh, and f- find a nice home for well, maybe seven hundred thousand. Uh, it's, it's a pretty nice home when you get into out into the far suburbs. So uh, you have to look at what your resources are at the time. I can think back that, you know, I was buying uh, 12 and 13-story buildings. I was buying them empty. 
I couldn't afford <laughs> going to <laughs> well, you know, I had to create that. And uh, so that was where the opportunity lay. And uh, I'm always running into people that are doing something uh, unique that I had thought of. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where uh, it's hard to find things that, that haven't been discovered, but there's still stuff out there uh, where if you want to go out into the into the hinterland, so to speak, you can yeah still get the decent uh, returns, decent opportunities. Hello, hello! You're listening to the Five Talents Podcast. I'm your host Abel Pacheco. If you're enjoying this podcast, then I know you're serious about achieving financial freedom. Are you ready to create your own path through multifamily investing for yourself and your family? Then I know you're going to appreciate our investor's guide to multifamily investing. It's titled Tackling Commercial Real Estate the Easy Way. We use this guide to invest ourselves in $93 million worth of real estate. So we're going to show you the basic mechanics of multifamily syndications and how to evaluate your next passive investment opportunity. So the best part, if you subscribe to our podcast now, leave us a review and a rating. I'm going to give you a free copy of our ebook. So please take a moment to do that now. Once you've done that, go to 5tcre.com forward slash ebook. 5tcre.com forward slash ebook. Make sure to let us know you left a review and we're going to send you a free copy. So thank you so much for subscribing to the Five Talents Podcast. We really appreciate it. What um, what significance can you put on networking in your success over the years? Networking? Well, uh, real estate is pretty unique. So you generally do need a, a large group of sellers and buyers, it's, it's not like manufacturing uh, widgets or something. It's uh, it's personal. It's all personal. I can tell you a story that happened to me in my beginnings. I uh, decided to I'd try and buy a very large property, and I went to uh, Northwestern Mutual Life, which is one of the major companies in the country. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, when you say large, how large was the property? Oh, uh, it was uh, about three, four hundred units. Okay, okay. For somebody that was starting, that was <laughs> three to four hundred. Yeah, uh, units, multi, I, big deal. I, okay. Almost all the properties I had with Northwest over a period of years, I think they averaged about five or six hundred units. Okay, but the, the first, this was my very first deal of any size. I, I had bought a few office buildings downtown, but nothing like this project. And they said, okay, you know, we like your project. We like you. We'll uh, put up 90% of the money and give us 8% return first. And then we'll split everything 50-50 after that. Mm-hmm. And uh, you only have to put up 10% of the money. And I forget what it was. Maybe it was like uh, in those days, 60 years ago, maybe it was uh, $500,000 or something, mm-hmm. which was a lot of money. Yeah. Said, Unfortunately, I don't, I don't have the $500,000. Yeah, yeah. And the guy, I mean, 
They don't do this anymore, by the way. So don't expect to get it. Anymore. <laughs> I'm writing it down as if, hey, this may be my next offer that I put out to investors, but go ahead. <laughs> and he said, uh, go downstairs, talk to this guy, tell him we're going to invest, and we'll lend you the $500,000 on a personal note. Yeah. And uh, that was it. That and was, that was it. how I got started. Man, so literally in this largest deal, your first you know, large property, you're going to one of the biggest entities, asking them to fund 90% of the purchase uh, or the, of, the, of the down payment, but still 90% of it. They yeah, said, hey, if you put in 10%, I'm in it. And you didn't have that. So you went, kind of put it together, personal line. Someone said, yep, I'm in. And so you got in this deal with essentially no money down. Yeah, that was that was where I was. <laughs> Today, uh, yeah, they'd want ten or twenty percent. In yeah. those days, it, it was more personalities and so on. It was uh, today things are a little more structured. Yeah, then, here's uh, the numbers. Here's the analysis. Here's what the data says. Here are the trends in the specific oh, market. Yeah. Okay, here's the hard qualifications. You don't meet those hard qualifications. Well, it, it enter also. So this is the beauty. Let me pause for a second, too, because what Sam outlined, right, his first big deal, and he figured out a way, a very creative way to get your first deal done. And you're essentially a part owner, a 50-50 percentage part owner of all of the profits after you paid back an 8% preferred return. So for those that are listening, that preferred return, it basically means contractually agreed to you're, they're getting 8% return on their money first. It's not a contract to say you're going to guarantee to make money because the lawyers will tell you no, but it's pretty much, it's the closest thing you're going to get to a guaranteed of, of return. It's I'll pay you first. And then after that, who's splitting the profits 50-50. But that, you know, as you continue to roll, this is where syndication, somebody like me, maybe I can't get the sweetheart personal line of credit deal anymore, maybe not throughout the entity. But what I can do is I can leverage a great team of people to put together that 10%. And now we go and try to work together because there's three, four, five of us, whatever, on the general partner team. And that's, is is this how you kind of, you know, started working syndication or found it? Or maybe tell me a little bit about from this first deal to, you know, enter a hundred you know, plus syndications and just kind of keep rolling. Well, that, that was, uh, I had done some smaller, some smaller things. And uh, uh, I, as I say, I, I think there other ways now you're going to have to do. I think there's big opportunities in uh, value adding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, uh, failed hotels right now. Mm-hmm. You have the skill and so on. But remember, one of my friends uh, told me uh, when I was uh, in, in the middle of, a, of it, the, the hotel business is not the real estate. It's, a, it's more like a business enterprise, like a restaurant, something of that nature. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so it's a different background to uh, looking at something different. But the main thing is being careful, doing all your homework, and uh, remembering that what you're doing at the acquisition stage is what's going to affect what happens later. Just it's not uh, 
always that easy. Right now, it looks like we're heading for inflation, and that's going to mean uh, the property prices are going to go up substantially. But uh, in terms of real value, it may, may be less than it was. Inflation is the devaluation of the dollar. And that's something I think everybody should study a little bit because it looks we're going in that direction. Yeah. The devaluation of the dollar, our, our loaf of bread has doubled. Our real estate is more expensive. And my quote unquote power that I used to have of saving a million dollars or having a million bucks in the bank is not so favorable anymore. And I'd rather be in an income generating asset that's increasing in price as well. And so my dollar stays stronger if it's invested in a commercial asset that's kicking off cash all the time. And that's adjusting to the market as it goes. And it's adjusting in the market as it goes. Yeah, so it's it's value stays stronger than my weakening dollar, essentially, right? Somebody was arguing with me yesterday because I said, well, we can get a, a, a 10% return on this on this shopping center, he said, yes, but at the rate the, the inflation is going, and you're, uh, if you've got a 10-year lease, the value of the property is actually going down each year because the rent is fixed, basically, for the 10 years. So there's, there's all these different kind of things that have to go back and, have to go back and forth through to figure out what is best for you on this property. Got it. Okay, very good. Well, I think we'll spend some time. That sounds like another uh, spending some time educating ourselves, learning a little bit. Uh, I see this huge, bo- you know, bookshelf of, of books in your background. Uh, what what importance would you put on education and finding new knowledge and you know over on your success over the years? Well, I was just a regular student. Uh, I was not, uh, you know, A plus or anything. But uh, I think. Basics, you know, costs and uh, how you spend your time are, are important. Your health is important. It doesn't do any good to make a lot of money and then and be sick all the time. So uh, keeping a sort of well-rounded life. Um, by the way, I haven't read uh, more than maybe 10% of those books. <laughs> and... Uh, but they're all they're all ba- about basics, you know how to uh, work with people. They're all uh, primarily sort of how-to books. It'd be something that I wanted to to do, and I really didn't know too much about how or how to deal with people. So uh, I get some books. No, very. I I love one of my favorites is always Dale Carnegie's "How to Win Friends and Influence People." Uh, yeah, just a tried right. and true classic. I saw you smile. You read it a, a time or two. Oh yeah, and there's a lot of those in different areas: how to manage people, how to uh, negotiate. That's important. All right. Well, very good. Well, Sam, I uh, I truly appreciate your time. You know, there's a few things before we go. I want to uh, direct any of our listeners or viewers in the place that they should either reach out to to learn more about the books that you have or some insights or education, knowledge, anything that you have out there. Where should we go? Do you have a website that we should all hit if we want to stay closer to, you know, you and your world a little bit? 
where can we connect with you if we wanted to? Well, I have a, like everybody does, an address that they can, there's sfreshman at standardmanagement.com. Okay. And uh, you can send me an email and either I or, or someone in my organization, I, depending on what your questions are, mm-hmm. try and direct you to somebody. And I know you're on LinkedIn too. Heidi, Heidi was very helpful with me. Yes, well. going to Heidi Neener, LinkedIn, uh, so you can get uh, a lot of people uh, are involved in that, and she's a good place to start. The uh, properties. You just if you got a question, you can just send it off, and I'll try and get it to the right person, and. Uh, very good. Yeah, just, yeah. Uh, turn over rocks. <laughs> just keep you getting after. I love it. Thank you, Sam. There's a couple books. Yes, One please. One called "Never Be Old Enough to Know Better," and you get that through Amazon. It's not very expensive. Paperback, and it's all my uh, stories about things I've learned. Never be old enough to know better. That's the best book I've ever written. I've written a series called uh, "The Smartest Way to Save," which you can. Also, get to the regular uh, book brokers. Uh, smartest way to save big, smartest way to save more. That's a, a series of three books. Because, see, when somebody comes to you to invest, the first question they're going to ask is not where the property is, uh, it's not how much you're going to make, it's how much are you, the sponsor, putting in? How much skin in the game? If I heard that skin in the game yeah because they figure if you're going to put in a, a relatively important uh, amount of money in relation to your resources and take some risks with them then they'll more likely to go along so to get that in these books uh, the smartest way to save series is to help you how do you generate that over a period of time mm-hmm. one of the things that you can do I know we're running out of time, but this is probably... We have more time. You feel free. Okay. Most important thing is when you're starting out, you want to tie up with somebody very, very successful and very, very smart like Abel. And uh, (laughs) so then when someone asks you, uh, you're a partner with Abel in a deal, Okay. You don't have very much money at all. Abel's going to put in uh, $500,000. You're going to put in $50,000. Well, you say, they ask, you say, you don't say what you're doing. You say what the sponsors are doing. Sponsors are putting up, you know. Half a million uh, dollars, yeah. Half a million dollars or a million dollars or whatever it is, a major chunk of it. And you're one of the sponsors. Most people don't dig down to say, well, you know, what portion of that? I yeah, just yeah. Say, okay, you got some money in the deal. And that's probably the, the most, if you're, in, if you're in the syndication business, that's one of the first things you got to learn is how to raise money. Tell them as well. Uh, and you have your techniques as well. So what, what I did was create the impression that I've got a lot of my money riding in. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's true. It was a lot, but it was a small amount in relation to the other people. 
Absolutely. There's some goodness here. Uh, one, you want to partner with the best possible people you can you can have in your network. So partnering with. Number two, when you're working together, we're working together as a team. And then the first thing that you mentioned, Sam, was, and your book, how to tell me the title again, how to save more. What was the title? Smartest way to save. The smartest way to save. And you can find that on Amazon. And I just put out something uh, yesterday where uh, I was taught you know, that 60% is what you should live off of, of your earnings. Whatever dollar you make, learn to live off 60% of it. 10% to go pay back debt if you have some debt. 10% to save and 10% to tithe, right? And I go, okay, well, there's there's a good chunk or 20% to debt, sorry. And if you can figure out how to pay off your debt and then save and tithe, you know, you're, you're giving, you're saving, but you got to save that seed. Otherwise you won't have anything to invest, right? So figure out a way to save it. And uh, we're not talking about saving and just leaving money and hoping that it grows. We're talking about saving a seed and then planting the seed. So you, you've definitely planted a good number of seeds, uh, Mr. Freshman, over the years, huh? Oh, yeah. Uh, you've heard the phrase due diligence. You can never do too much due diligence. Unfortunately, there's also another side to it. I tended to be uh, probably a little tighter that I should have because uh, the best deals got away. Yeah. 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 So I was, well, I could have done this or I could have done that. And uh, uh, I should have probably spent a little more time on this last deal because somebody else bought it and uh, turned it around. There's a a lot of action taking place in the the secondary market, isn't it? As I mentioned earlier, I think uh, we've done a lot in the last uh, 10 years in Nevada, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which I remember uh, 10 or 15 years ago, uh, maybe uh, it was about probably 15 years ago when I started there. Uh, Prior to that, I would have never, ever thought going to Nevada and gambling and all that kind of stuff. So uh, sometimes it's just a matter of uh, spending a little more effort and looking at some of this stuff, maybe going a, a little further away uh, from your own base than you'd like to. The, the, the due diligence is where all the basic work is done, that time that you're making the decision whether or not to buy the property. Yep. Yep. And I, I kind of a hundred percent agree with you, right? we got to look at the numbers, look at the data, look at, you know, our offer. Then you've got physical, physical due diligence and inspection, and then your business plan to execute it and all this work up front to make sure you're what you said at the very beginning, we got to buy them right. I mean, so it's basic information, but it's absolutely 100% necessary. That's why you hear people like Sam say it. And then, uh, you know, spending that time. Another thing I, I think you mentioned was, the other side of it is you're so conservative or maybe you had a lot of due diligence that maybe you saw some projects that got away and those are some of the best deals. In your real estate time, that's why your aim is to buy and hold now though. Because I remember on our first conversation, you, you mentioned, oh, what, maybe you could tell us the story that kind of got you to go into buy and hold. You said you bought a deal, you sold it, and now that property is tens of millions more. Maybe you can talk to us about this buy and hold philosophy a little bit more so we get it. Well, the main thing is that uh, I was buying properties and selling them 
say for buying a million or two million and selling them for two to four million, those buildings that I sold for two to four million are over 50 to 100 million dollars today. Oh my gosh. If I just kept the first four of them, I'd be richer (laughs) than I am today. That's that's a lesson and a half. So let's just repeat that. Your first four deals, buying and sell, buying them for a million or two and selling them for two to four, which by all accounts, double your money with a couple of million dollars. As a young man, I'm not sure how old you were then, but I'm sure you were a pretty young guy. Yeah, I was probably in my late 20s. Late 20s, making that million dollars. Back then, it must have felt like... I'm on top. I'm the man. I'm on top of the world. Right. Right. But, but Sam just said, you know, that after hundreds of deals later, he would have been more, he would have meant more wealth had he had just kept those first four properties than all of the work done afterwards. Godly, what a, what a mindset, what a mindset, Mr. Freshman. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess here's, here's to whoever's looking at buying and selling a deal today. It's 2021. We'll, we'll find out where, you know, decades later and uh, see if you're buying or selling <laughs> now. Woo. It's hard. It's a lesson right there. Well, uh, Mr. Freshman, is there anything else that we did not talk about today that you wanted to share? Anything else, at least for this, we'll call it segment one, because I want to get back in touch with you and your world. And But at least for today, is there anything else that we didn't get to touch on that you really wanted to share? Well, I, I think what I'm always learning is be uh, be careful the people you're working with. If you're going to actually go into partnership, it's one thing to just have a discussion, you know, meet them for lunch or whatever, pick up some general knowledge. But if you're going to become a partner, you want to check them out, just like uh, a lot of of my friends who uh, are in this, consider their partners and uh, employees the same as the properties in terms of doing the research, do due diligence on the people that are going to be important in your operation. It's surprising what you can find out today because it's the people that you work with. This is not a something that you do by yourself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And so you want to have people that have good reputations that uh, uh, have not uh, gotten involved in any uh, criminal matters, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. For example, we will lend to people. For example, we do a lot of bridge lending, gap and bridge lending. And we'll lend to somebody if they've had a bankruptcy, uh, but had a good reason for it, like in 1917, 2017 or something, we had a big crisis a number of years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of Good people did lose their properties, but if they've been involved in something with a moral problem, uh, a crime or something of that nature, then I don't care how rich they are, mm-hmm. how good the deal looks, we're mm-hmm. passing. Time to pass. Yes, sir. Yeah, so that, 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 that's something that I think isn't uh, taught uh, often enough. Very good. You want to uh, be very careful with the people that you're. Uh, dealing with, and uh, it's not uh, their their character is more important than their wallet. Agreed. All right, 
Mr. Freshman, thank you very much. It's been amazing hanging out with you. And uh, thank you for being so generous with your time, uh, giving us a little bit of insight into your world. And I'm excited to, to one, stay connected with you, learn more, and then uh, help share as much of the insight as I can from the knowledge and expertise that you have, my friend. So thank you, brother. Oh, thank you. Okay. We're, uh, we're always looking for good deals and trying to do the apartment building. That's, we, uh, oh, there's one more thing. Please, please. Why do we always want at least 200 units? The reason for that is that the cost of operations is, uh, the bigger the property is, up to a certain extent, the less it costs you per unit. Mm -hmm. For example, if I'm going to buy a 25 units, I'm going to have to pay the manager uh, $30,000 or $40,000 or something. On the other hand, if I buy 200 units, I only have to pay them uh, maybe three, four times that. So the cost, per, it's not the cost of the manager, it's the cost per unit. So a 200 or 300 unit building has a very, very low cost per unit from an administrative standpoint. And you can buy, and things are cheaper to buy in, in, the, in the quantities. You can sometimes buy refrigerators, stoves, things of that nature for, for say, a three or 400 unit project, if you were building it, for a fraction of what you're going to have to pay if it's a 10 or 12 so yes, uh, it's because people look at it and don't always under, understand that it's cheaper to run a bigger property than a smaller property. Mm -hmm. The, the money is a little bit more accessible too for the loan, the lending. The money's a little bit more accessible than a $2 million deal. It might be easier to get a $20 million deal as long as the mechanics are right. Yep. So you want to stretch to maximum you can yes sir well, all right sam thank you very much uh, again i really appreciate it. again my name is abel pacheco i'm your host for the five talents podcast go like this show like it rate it review it subscribe however you think about it just provide some support because we have amazing guests like sam that gets to join us and uh do me a favor go to any one of his, you know, the Amazon store, go buy any and all of those books, um, support. I think you're going to get a lot of knowledge uh, for a few bucks of those books. I think you'll find a way to create a lot of wealth through that knowledge. So thank you so much, Sam. It's been a pleasure. It's been an honor. I'm uh, truly humble and grateful. And thank you very much for joining us, sir. Thank you, Evo. It was good. I enjoyed it. And I'm looking forward to making a deal with you somewhere. I look forward to it as well. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Five Talents Podcast with your host, myself, Abel Pacheco. Each week, we're going to bring you interviews from industry experts and commercial real estate investors who follow their dreams and achieve massive success. Before you leave, let me ask you a few questions. Did you enjoy this episode? Did you learn something valuable? Was your mind stretched to what's possible and what you can achieve? Do you want other experts just like the one you heard today? If you answered yes to any or all of those questions, then please take a moment to subscribe to the Five Talents Podcast. Give us a five-star rating. And most importantly, leave us a written review. 
Tell us what you liked. Tell us your favorite guests. Give us any feedback. I'm excited to learn and improve so you can get a more valuable show. So thank you again for subscribing to the Five Talents Podcast.